Hi, my name is Caitlin and welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough, that in the gospel we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance this gospel message of Jesus Christ. So, two weeks ago, Pastor Jared Motzinger, he shared the importance of having a pure heart when it comes to being in right relationship with one another, right? He said, we cannot be in right relationship with one another if our hearts aren't pure. And then last week, Kurt Motzinger taught on why God allows suffering. What's God doing with storms that hit us in life? And then more important, not more importantly, but just as important off of that, how do we respond? When God sends trials and struggles and tragedy into our life, how do we respond in a biblical way? So a huge thank you to both of them for stepping in and teaching. And now today we are going to wrap up, I said next week we start the Easter sermon series. So clearly today we wrap up this series on the kingdom of right relationships. And we do it by answering this question. Why right relationships? So we've talked about the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of right relationship. But why? Why is right relationship so important in the kingdom of heaven? And the answer to that is Right relationship is the only kind of relationship that can make you look more like Jesus. The only relationship. Now here's the thing. Relationship, being in relationship with one another, has become a very trendy topic in the church today. I've heard it preached on a lot, and we'll get there. But any relationship, you can throw yourself into any relationship and it can make you feel good, right? You can throw yourself into any relationship, and it can make you feel more successful. It can make you, the relationship itself can make you more successful, right? Right? You make relationships with the right people, and when we seek out relationships, church, that's a danger, isn't it? We don't seek out relationships to just enjoy the company of the other person, We seek out relationships for what that relationship can give us, right? For what kind of promotions we can get if we start hanging out with this social club, right? We twist these relationships, but they can. Those relationships can make you more successful. They can make you feel better about yourself. They can make you feel more motivated. But just because they do those things does not make them right relationships. Because only right relationships will make you look more like Jesus. Wrong relationships never will. And so the Bible says we have to evaluate all of our relationships. And we have to ask that question. Is this relationship making me more like Jesus or less like Jesus? And we have to adjust accordingly. This, like I said, this teaching has become very popular lately, and it actually has its roots in the very beginning of Scripture. 
So we turn all the way back to the very beginning, six days in to the very beginning. In Genesis 1, starting in verse 24, says, Then God said, Let the earth produce living creatures according to their kind, livestock and crawling things and animals of the earth according to their kind. And it was so. God made the animals of the earth according to their kind and the livestock according to their kind and everything that crawls on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every crawling thing that crawls on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit-yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every animal of the earth, and every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Now, let me highlight one particular part of this story. It's the most important part, right? It's the part where we were created. <laughs> That's pretty selfish, isn't it? It is, though, because there's a special blessing. There's a special emphasis that God puts on mankind when he creates mankind. No other creature, no other creature on the earth has God put his spirit within, right? Only mankind. But look at how mankind is created. God said, let us make mankind in our image according to our likeness. Do you see it? Ladies and gentlemen, one of the greatest mysteries you will ever see in your life. The mystery of the Trinity. Theologically speaking, this is one of the first references we have in the Bible, it is the first reference that we have in the Bible, of the Trinity and what the Trinity is. In plain English, if you don't want to use the word Trinity, our God is three persons, but is not three gods. What? And if you haven't grown up in the church, if you have grown up in the church, ladies and gentlemen, let's pretend for a minute that this is really what it is, right? Because we've got all these people, you know, outside of the faith who haven't grown, and you say this, oh yeah, our God's Trinitarian, he's three persons, but he's only one, and they're all like, what? And you're like, yeah, shut up. If you don't understand it, you're dumb. And we sit there and pretend that we do understand it, Right? We don't understand it, right? There's this story of St. Augustine. St. Augustine, you know, one of the early, early church fathers. And he, would, he sat down and he was going to write this book on the Trinity, this, you know, huge document on what the Trinity is and all this stuff. And he starts writing it. And, he get, you know, he, he's deep into it. It's this huge book. And then the, this, this legend says that he's out on the beach. And, you know, he's just, he's just his brain is just, to the max, like maxed out on how to describe the Trinity and how to explain it. And then he sees this child with a little, a little shell. 
and he's got a hole, and he's walking back and forth, and he fills the shell with water from the ocean, and he walks over, and he dumps it in the hole. And he just does this, and, and Augustine's watching him do this over and over and over. He's like, what is this kid doing? And so he walks up to the child, and he says, my child, what are you doing? And he says, well, I'm trying to put the entirety of the ocean in this hole. And Augustine says, laughs, he kids. He says, the ocean is far too vast for you to ever be able to contain it in that hole. And the child looks at him and says, and so is the trinity for man's mind, and disappears. I don't know if it really happened, but it's a cool story, right? But it's true. We think about this trinity, and guys, there's parts of the Christian faith that we have to just admit. We'll get it when we get to heaven. I don't get it. The Trinity, God is three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and when we get to heaven, they are going to exist as one God. It is not three different individuals that we worship. It does not mean that God, you know, there's some goofy theology out there that says, well, Jeremy, I am a father of Elam and Jubilee and Promise and Gideon. I am also a son of Teresa and Ed, and then I am also a spirit, the entity that, that's not what it is. Three distinct persons, okay? This sermon isn't on the Trinity, so that's as far as we're going to go on it today. But our God exists in Trinitarian form. Three persons who have existed from the very beginning. And God said from the very beginning of the creation of man, let us make mankind in our image, which means, and this is a popular teaching today, which means, we said it during prayer time, you were made to be in relationship. You were not made to do life alone. Because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit do not do life alone. From the beginning of time, they are doing it together. They are sharing glory with each other. They are worshiping with each other. They are deferring to one another and going back and forth, this dance of the Trinity that goes around. And as believers, we have been invited into that. As mankind in whom God has put his spirit, we have been invited into that dance. To do it any other way is wrong. So these people who think it's a pop, the, the other popular teaching today, well, I have my relationship with Jesus and you have yours. Don't tell me how to do mine. False. Absolutely false lie from the pit of hell. You don't have your relationship with Jesus. You do. You have your relationship with Jesus, but it's not yours. It's not isolated to you. And if you aren't walking in community with a like-minded group of believers who believe in the same thing you do, it's not right, y'all, because you have been made in God's image. And God's image, part of God's image is you were made to be in community. We got it? So, we got that out there. That's a popular teaching today. You will hear that other places. But here's the problem with that teaching. It's a half-truth. You were made to be in relationship. Half-truth. You were made to be in right relationship. Full truth. Because today, we've got a ton of Christians running around, plugging themselves into any relationship in the world, and we assume 
that it's a right relationship. See, God doesn't tell Adam and Eve here that they need to be in right relationship, right? He doesn't tell us that, hey, I'm going to make mankind and I'm going to make them to be in right relationship. Do you know why he doesn't say that? Because Genesis 3 hasn't happened yet. There's no such thing as a wrong relationship yet, right? But when Adam and Eve decided, you know what, God? I think we know how to do this better than you. My life, I think I know how to direct my path better than you know how to direct my path. And so I'm going to go ahead and do what you said I shouldn't do. And as soon as that happened, we see it. We'll look at it next week. We'll, we'll start to see this. Every relationship turns wrong after that. And then all of a sudden, we have to ask ourselves. It's not just that we have to be in relationship because the quality of relationship also matters now. It would be lovely to think that any relationship is right relationship, but that's not the fact. The full truth is that there are right relationships and there are wrong relationships. And we have got to ask ourselves, how do we get into these right relationships? What makes it a right relationship? There's right, we've talked about all these things, right? There's right relationship with God. There's also wrong relationship with God. There's right relationship with the church. There's also wrong relationship with the church. And there's right relationship with the world. And there's also wrong relationship with the world. You picking up on this? You see the theme, right? So how do we get there? We'll look at three things today. First, we'll look at where relationship goes wrong. What is the problem with all of these relationships? Where does it go wrong? Then we'll look at how to get it right. And then, finally, we'll look at the purpose of right relationships. So first, let's start off. Where does relationship go wrong? Where do these relationships go wrong? Where did Adam and Eve's relationship go wrong? And it all started when man decided that we no longer wanted to be made in God's image. Right? Adam and Eve decided, I know better. I don't want to be made in God's image anymore. I want to be made in mine. We make that same decision daily, don't we? Anyone willing to admit? I make that same decision daily. God, I want to be made in my image. I want to craft my future. I want to, to dictate who my children grow up to be and what they look like and how they act. I want to do that because I want my image, not God's. So the problem that we have is when we decide that, that we no longer want to be made in God's image, we twist relationships, don't we? We twist it into something awful, and it's funny because our culture won't let us see it as awful. Our culture preaches so hard that it's good to be in relationship that it doesn't let us see that there are different qualities of relationship that we can be in, right? You guys have all heard the, everybody says like, oh, this is my tribe. These are my people, right? You guys have heard that? What do we mean when we say that, Right? Usually, it's, this is the group of people that makes me feel good about myself, right? Anyone? 
this is the group of people that they're, they're going to build me up and they're going to tell me how great I am and they're going to do all this thing. And that's what we do. That's what we talked about, right? We seek out relationships that build us up. We've perverted this so badly that we do the same thing with God. Don't we? Y'all, it makes me want to throw up every time I hear it, but I have heard it way too much. People will say, yeah, I stopped attending that church because it just wasn't filling me up anymore. Since when did going to church ever become about you? We've missed it, y'all. And if y'all are coming to this church because it fills you up, I'm preaching wrong. Because that's not the purpose. Look, is it good if it fills you up? Yeah, but that's not why you're here. And that's what we've turned relationships into. I serve God so that he can make me feel better about myself. I serve God. I, I, I work in the church. I go to a church so they can make me feel better about myself. You all know that's not true here. I make you feel like crap before you walk out these doors. All right? Pastor Jeremy's back. Yay. No. But that's what we do, even with the world. We only put ourselves in situations around people. Guys, that's this self-help culture, it's dangerous. It's not Christianity. You cannot believe in self-help God or self-help culture and the gospel of Jesus Christ, the true gospel. Because what does the gospel of Jesus Christ say at its core? Build yourself up? No deny yourself die to yourself right why do we believe the lie why does the church preach the lie and y'all it's because we just don't see it right we have been blinded by it we only approach relationships so we can be filled. You see the selfishness in that? We talked about this when we talked about the book of James. We went through our James sermon series. This is how James opens up chapter 4. He says, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is the source not your pleasures that wage war in your body's parts? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, so that you may spend what you request on your pleasures. Here's the problem that we have today, church. This is the lie that we have bought into, that the church has bought into. Modern psychology has said for probably over a decade now that the answer, the cure for all of the world's problems is to build up the self-esteem, right? The, every problem has to do with poor self-esteem. If some kid goes in and shoots up a school, it's because they, don't have, they, they have self-esteem issues. So what do we do? We build them up. We make them feel better about themselves, we, we raise them up, right? We encourage, we encourage, we encourage. Heavens to Betsy, we don't tell them that they ever do anything wrong. That would crush them, right? And what do we have today, y'all? We have a culture of egocentric megalomaniacs running around, right? Chasing 
absolutely everything. Y'all, have you guys ever, I mean, I, look, I'm not on TikTok. I don't do any, I deleted all of my social media. But, but y'all, I've, I've heard, I've heard of some of the absolutely insanely idiotic things that these kids are doing on TikTok to get what? Somebody to push a button on their video that says that they're popular? Are you joking me? I'm, I'm coming across as a real millennial now, right? All the young kids watching this stream at home, they're like, what a millennial, he doesn't get us. You're right, I don't. And I don't want to. Because the gospel says it's absolutely wrong. The gospel says self is not the solution. Self is the problem. And so in a culture where we're constantly saying, well, to fix all of our problems, we're going to build up the self. Do, do you see that we're not solving anything? We're making the problem bigger. And when you look at the state of where we are today, is anybody actually going to step back and say, yes, we're in a much better place today than we were back when, before we built up all of these self-esteems of all of these children and made them out to be the center of the universe? I don't know, maybe I'm an idiot. Maybe I'm the one that just doesn't see it. But to me, I see us heading down a dangerous path. And the problem is, the church, since it's losing its influence, we're grabbing at anything we can grab to get influence back. And that includes preaching false gospels to get butts in the seats. And so we've come alongside this self-help gospel. We've preached this self-help gospel. And y'all, it's a lie. Because Jesus said that selfishness is the reason that everything goes wrong in relationship. All the way back to Adam and Eve, selfishness is what spoiled their relationship with God. And nothing has changed. Your relationship with God today is spoiled because of your selfishness. That's not a prophetic word. That's the truth for everybody. Okay, I'll, I'll stop yelling at you. Me, the reason my relationship with God goes wrong is because of my selfishness. The reason my relationship with you in the church goes wrong is because of my selfishness. Oh, I just don't feel like driving over to so-and-so's house today. Oh, I, need I, I need time to refresh and plug in and, and, and you know, pamper myself, right? I need to go get my nails done and my cuticles pushed back. That's a thing, right? But you see it? It's the same thing with the parable of the Good Samaritan that we talked about with the world, right? Why don't we respond to a lost and dying world? I just, oh, I just don't have time. I got to be at that church thing. Oh, I just, I don't have time. I fantasy football draft in five minutes. I can't, I can't help. I can't do, right? Selfishness ruins every relationship. So, how do we get it right? You're the problem. How do you get it right? <laughs> and it should be pretty easy, right? If the problem is we don't want to be made in God's image, if the problem is that I want to be made in my image, that I want to build up myself, if the problem is selfishness, then the solution is obvious. Stop, right? When I was a kid, this used to happen all the time, and I hated it. 
I'd be like doing something. Let's say I was building a bench. That's a lie because as a kid, I never built anything. I didn't start building anything until I worked with Tim doing construction. But let's pretend I was building a bench. So I'd be building a bench and I'd be nailing something in and I'd like hit my finger, right? And it'd hurt like crazy and I'd say, ah! And my dad would say, what'd you do, Jeremy? He'd say, I hit my finger with a hammer. And he'd say, well, don't do that. As a teenager, I loved that joke. It made me laugh so hard, especially when you're sitting there writhing in pain and your dad's like, don't do that. (laughs) Thanks, dad. But it's true, right? And in this situation, if selfishness is the problem, stop. Stop doing it. And we all leave here better people, right? End of the sermon, it's over. I wish it was that easy. But y'all... This is why God has to send storms, right? This is why God has to send pain. Because if he doesn't, I could sit here and, you know, praise Jesus, world's shortest sermon, we can get to fellowship time and eat, everybody's hungry. Hey, y'all, stop doing all the things the Bible says not to do. Okay, take off. But we don't do it, do we? God sends storms to shake us up. God sends storms to make us realize, Jeremy, you don't have it all together. You need to get it right. We've got to stop trying to do it our way. Because if we're being honest, our way is broken, right? Anyone, have you tried to do it your way? And how does it end up for you? Broken every time, right? We've got to stop trying to make ourselves in our image. We've got to stop. And this is the big one, right? We've got Disney movies, every single Disney movie made recently. That's the whole topic of the Disney movie. Find your true self, right? Find your self-identity. And so we get Elsa and Moana running around finding their true selves and saving the day while they're at it, right? But they can only save the day after they've found their true self, right? Y'all, that's not scriptural. Nowhere in Scripture does God say, hey, Jeremy, go find your true self. He doesn't. He says, I will define your true self. I will tell you who you are. And it starts by him calling us children, right? It starts by him adopting us and calling us his own. And then he tells us who he made us to be. But y'all, do you see the selfishness in our culture? We get to define anything. We get to define anything about ourselves that we want. And if God made me physically one way, it doesn't matter. I can go change it. Go to the doctor and get knee implants and make myself seven foot tall, right? Muscle implants, I'll, I'll be this huge seven foot tall NBA player. Take that, world. That's not how it works, though. Because that's not who God made us to be. What is this going to require? of us for us to stop being selfish and this is where what pastor jared talked about two weeks ago is so vital if you weren't here i highly suggest you go back and listen to that because y'all you will not change until you have a pure heart you can't as long as there's corruption and and you're not allowing the holy spirit to really purify your heart you're not going to be able to take the first steps necessary to change as long as you're not humble As long as you're not willing to be obedient, you will never be ready to change. 
the other side of this that we don't like is that it's going to require a lot of correction, isn't it? If God's going to say, you need to be made in this way, not Jeremy's way, that requires, what's, that, that requires him saying, your way's wrong, Jeremy, right? And so it requires correction, which is interesting because that's what Kurt talked about last week, right? He used this passage from Hebrews 12. Have you forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are punished by him. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he punishes every son whom he accepts. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subjected to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems not to be pleasant, but painful. Yet, to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. We have hit on this every single week. This is a requirement of right relationship, right? You have got to be willing to be corrected. You have got to be corrected. God disciplines those he loves. Therefore, the church should discipline those she loves. Therefore, we should allow ourselves to be disciplined by those we love, right? This isn't popular, especially today. And y'all, I've got to say, I'm sorry to be on my soapbox. I got a lot of soapboxes today. Modern parenting, y'all, is a scary thing because it is absolutely void of discipline. And we see it because in those children who are not disciplined, there is zero peaceful fruit of righteousness. There's none. Because guess what? If we're looking at Hebrews 12 here, you can't have peaceful fruit of righteousness without discipline and correction. Right? It's not just going to pop up on its own. You have to have correction. You know, I, now, I'm, I'm going to, this is, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life because I'm going to say this. What's going to happen is I'm going to say it, and then after service today, all of my children are going to be the worst behaved children. You know, Elam's going to run into a wall and bust his head open again like he did one time at church, and it's just, it's all going to fall off. So get ready for that, because then, and then you'll all be able to say, <laughs> see, Pastor Jeremy, your kids stink. But I think that Jan and I have pretty well-behaved children. I personally think that they are, they're, they're pretty well-behaved. Now, look, they have problems. We probably know more than anybody else the problems that our kids have. But when we come here on Sundays, we can leave our kids at a table, we can let them eat, and we can leave and not, you know, stand over their shoulders. Are they, oh, are they doing this? Are they, oh, are they dumping their juice all over each other's heads? Like, we know they're not going to do that, Right? We can go to someone's house and we can let them go play in the basement and we're not worried that we're going to come downstairs and Elam's going to have a baseball bat chasing his siblings around ready to club somebody over the head. 
But the reason we can do that is because we have done the hard work of correcting and disciplining while we've had those children in our home. Nobody sees that, do they? Nobody sees the amount of correction and discipline that we have done with our children so that they are able to be well-behaved children in public. And if I'm getting on my soapbox, y'all, I see a lot of people today who want to jump to the results of having peaceful fruit of righteousness without doing the hard work of discipline because we don't believe in telling our children no. Look, y'all, I'm sorry if this offends you. If you believe that, stop. God tells me no all the time. And if it's good enough for God, it's good enough for you as a parent. Children need to be corrected. Children of Jeremy Metzger and children of God. Y'all look, it's, we, can, we can draw this parallel. I, I'm hard on parenting because parenting is a good illustration. All right, but we can draw it out wherever you want it, okay? Oh, we, we love hearing Pastor Jeremy preach at the gospel house. He always brings a word, and we can just really tell that God's speaking to him. Y'all, I am up almost every morning. It used to be every morning. Now it's almost every morning at four in the morning. And every morning at four in the morning, I pray and I say, Lord God, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. And then I open my word. And after I get done reading my word, I ask God, is there anything that you need to correct in me? And then I listen. And I'm quiet. And I listen. Y'all, nobody sees that. Jana might see it. Nobody else sees it. Right? But that is the hard work of discipline and correction that is done daily on me so that I can be in a position to hear God's voice and to communicate it. And listen, I, I, I'm not saying that to be like, oh, look at me, I'm so great. That's not what it is. But what it is, is this is work. What it also is, is I'm not great. There is nothing about me that is any better than anyone else here today. Anyone else that will ever come through these doors. Y'all want to get up here and do this? You can easy, but you've got to do the hard work of allowing God to correct and discipline you. And look, he's not going to call everybody up here, right? Some of you would absolutely poop yourselves if you had to come up here and talk in front of everybody, right? He's saying, no way, right? And, and not everybody is called to this. Not everybody is gifted for this. But look, y'all, we all want to move mountains for God, right? We wouldn't be here if we didn't. And there are things, there are mountains that you're staring at that you're thinking, I, can't, I could never do that. God, I, you've called me to do this thing. You've called me to walk in this ministry. I can't do this. I'm not worthy to do this. False. Lie from the pit of hell. Stop believing it. You absolutely can. But you've got to start today doing the hard work of correction and discipline. That means putting yourselves, and y'all, I, I shared that prayer with you, but y'all, that is my go-to prayer in the morning. Psalm 139, I think, 23 to 24, something like that. But, but that's my go-to. Lord, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any hurtful way in me 
and lead me in the everlasting way. You want to pray a prayer? That's a prayer. That's not my will, right? That's a not my will prayer. It is saying, God, I am opening my heart to you, and I want you to uncomfortably dig in there. And I want you to find the things that I am doing that are upsetting to you, and I want you to pull them out. And no matter how many roots are attached, I want you to pull it out. And if it hurts, I want you to pull it out. But I want you to get me right, Jesus. I want you to purify my heart, and I want to be right before you, God. And it's a great prayer to start your day especially before, if you, and I always, y'all, I, I always do this, like my kids even know this. If I wake up and, and I do sleep in and my kids are up when I'm awake, they know the first thing I do in the morning is read my Bible. They know that they do not ask me to play games. They don't, nothing else until I finish reading my Bible. And that may seem harsh. Well, you don't take care of your kids? I do, but they can wait for God, Right? God comes before your kids, parents, right? And that's good for them to see that. It's good for them to see their mom and their dad saying, I will get that for you as soon as I am done reading my Bible. But I'm starving. I've never eaten before in my life. 30 minutes, child. Children are so dramatic, aren't they? But look, y'all, we have got to do the hard work of correction. As children of God, we have to allow ourselves to be corrected. As husband and wife, we have to correct one another. We have to be willing, and, and that, that's hard, isn't it? It's hard. There have been a couple times, there have been a couple times that Jana and I, like, you know, I've, I've seen something in Jana, and like, she's got to stop that. And it's, it, it's scary, like, I, I'm not a confrontational person. I don't really, you probably wouldn't tell that by my preaching, but I, I don't want to like bring up a bunch of stuff, right? And you know, the one time I was, I was like praying about it. Like it was something I really didn't want to talk to her about. And I was praying and praying and praying. And so that, that morning I told her, I said, Jana, you know, after school, we got to have a conversation. Like I've just, there's some stuff that we got to talk about and you know, we, we really need to talk about this. And so I got home from school and I was like sweating bullets. Like, oh gosh, she's going to make me sleep on the couch. This is horrible. And I go to talk to her, and she says, yeah, actually, the Holy Spirit already told me. It's like, <laughs> Jesus! Yes! But we've got to be willing to do the hard work of correction. As husband and wife, as parents, as a church body, we've got to be willing to do that. It is hard work. And the reality is, y'all, most of the time, nobody sees it. When people look at us as a gospel house church, they're not going to see the one-on-one -on -one conversations that we have where I say you, to Miss Janet, Miss Janet, I've seen something and you really got to correct this. The world's not going to see that. What they are going to see is a body of Christ that functions like Jesus called it to function. They are going to see the most beautiful thing on the earth. Do you know why it's the most beautiful thing on the earth? Because God calls it the most beautiful thing on the earth. Jesus Christ paid with his blood for his bride, the church, which makes it the most beautiful thing on the earth. But in order for it to look beautiful, we've got to do the hard work, right? We've got to. There's another verse that gets used and abused all the time, Matthew 7, 3 through 5. Some of you have heard this thrown about. What's always irked me about this, this passage gets thrown around by people who have absolutely no intention on doing anything that Jesus ever says, right? 
It's the, the story where you've got to remove the log from your eye before you can take the speck, right? And so all the time you get these people who have no intention on ever opening a page of this book, but doggone it, they know this story because as soon as you come at them with anything hard, there's a log in your eye, you can't tell me anything, right? And whoop, wall goes right up, right? But look, that's not what Jesus says. Look what he says. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and look, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus doesn't say to leave the speck in there, does he? Because that's what the world wants. The world wants to say, well, you have a log in your eye, so you can't tell me anything. That's not what Jesus says, y'all. And if you actually studied his teaching, you would learn pretty quickly that that's not what he says. But what does Jesus say? He says, take the log out of your eye and then remove the speck from your brother or sister's eye. Right? What's that mean? Purify your heart first. Listen to me, y'all. And this is, this is a point of clarification that we've got to make because we talked about that Matthew 18 principle, right? When we talked about our relationships with the church, that part of that is we have to be willing to correct each other. Listen to me, y'all. If you are not willing to be corrected by God, you have no right correcting anyone else. Zero. If you aren't listening to God and allowing him to correct you, now listen, this does not mean you're perfect. If it, if it was contingent upon us being perfect, no one would ever get corrected, right? That's what the world wants. That's what they want this passage to say, right? Wait until your eye is perfect and then remove the speck from your brother's eye. Not what Jesus says. But allow the Holy Spirit to correct you and then you are in a position to be corrected by God or to, to, to correct others, right? This is what Pastor Jared said right? Purify your heart. Your heart must be pure first. Not perfect, but it means you must be walking in the Spirit. Once your heart is pure, then you can disciple. Then you can discipline. But if your heart isn't pure, you have no right to correct other people. Absolutely no right. But to understand any of that, we've got to know what the purpose of right relationship is. What is the purpose of right relationship? Why is the Holy Spirit doing this? What is he trying to accomplish through us, through our relationships? Right? And for this, we're going to jump back to Kurt's message again. This is so cool. I, now, th and this... Th this is a sidebar, complete sidebar here. But y'all, this is what happens. Past three weeks, you have had three different individuals preach at the gospel house, right? I could have sat down with Jared and sat down with Kurt, and I could have written them an outline and told them, I want you to preach exactly this point, this point, this point, this point. But do you know what I told them? This is because we live in the unity of the Spirit together. I trust Pastor Jared, and I trust Kurt, and so I told them, I want you to speak whatever it is the Holy Spirit is telling you to speak. That's what I told them. Jared got up there and preached that. Kurt got up there and preached this. And now it's all coming together. Do you see what happens when we walk in unity in the Spirit? 
right? It's not man's unity. I can make unity. I could make unity with these sermons. I could tell them, I want you to preach from Romans 8. I want you to preach from Romans 9. We're good, right? That's not unity in the spirit, though. But you get this, and it's the same thing that happens in the Bible, right? We've, over thousands of years, we have all of these different authors, all of these different letters and books, and one central theme. Not one of them contradicts another. How do you do that if it's not the Holy Spirit working through these men, right? Isn't that cool? God is cool. Sorry, that was a sidebar. But what is the purpose of right relationship? And Kurt talked about this in Romans 8. It says, Now in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as, for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters." Careful here. I love Romans 8.28. It is one of my favorite promises in Scripture. It is so powerful. But listen, y'all, we can hobby lobby this up, right? We can put it on signs and we can forget where it comes from. Do not lose the purpose of the promise. I'm afraid with Romans 8.28, sometimes we lose the purpose, right? Well, God causes good for all things. And look, that's, a, that's an incredible promise to hang on to as an anchor when you're going through a storm. But y'all, anchors are useless if they don't have a purpose. If you're just tossing around anchors, if you're just grabbing onto anchors to hold on to an anchor, you have absolutely no idea where that anchor's taking you. Your anchor has to be attached to something, correct? So we've got to have purpose in the promise. And what is the purpose in this promise? To be conformed to the image of his son. What's the purpose? to look like Jesus. Y'all, what is the purpose of right relationship? I spoiled it. I gave you the answer at the very beginning of this thing, right? To look like Jesus. That is the point of every single one of our right relationships. Every single one. To make you look more like Jesus. You know, one of the greatest verses in the Bible comes as a obscure verse. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere, but I love it. It comes from 1 Thessalonians 2.8. Paul says this, in the same way we had a fond affection for you and were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our very lives as well, because you had become very dear to us. I love that. The greatest gospel you will ever preach is the relationships you have with others. In fact, I would venture to say the best way for you to preach the gospel is within relationship, within right relationship with others, right? There's that old cheesy saying that they have at leadership seminars everywhere, right? Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care, right? Have you guys heard that one? Y'all, hey, the cheesy sayings are cheesy sayings because they work, right? 
if it didn't work, nobody'd say it. But it's true. Nobody cares how much you know until you show them how much you care. Christian, no one will care about your gospel until you are ready to impart your very lives to them as well. Church, the world needs this more than ever. Christians today have gotten so used to preaching the gospel at people and not sharing their lives with them. You want to preach an effective gospel? The gospel doesn't change, right? You, you, you can't preach a better gospel. The gospel is the gospel. It's as good as it gets. But the way you do it within right relationship completely changes how people receive it. The church today is preaching gospels outside of right relationship. And it shows. Because the world says, I don't want that. And I don't think it's because the world doesn't want the gospel. The gospel's too powerful for that. The world wants the gospel. But they want the gospel within right relationship. I, I, I look at how badly our world is hurting today, and that it just screams over and over and over again. The world wants right relationship. You know, after everything that happened with COVID and all of that stuff, we're, we're sick of fake relationships, right? Nobody wants another Zoom meeting, right? But, but guys, it's not just Zoom. We see the world reaching out for this stuff on social media to try to get filled up. And, and y'all, how many times do we have to get these studies that come back to show us how dangerous social media is? the awful effects that it has on our society as a whole. Just, there's, there's actually a, a new uh, like class action lawsuit. Uh, I just, just heard about this from, I think, my barber. But th there's this new class action lawsuit against Facebook and Instagram uh, for people with eating disorders because they've gone back through studies and they have shown the correlation between eating disorders and, and social media usage. We keep coming back to it, y'all, but when's, it, when's that going to break our heart? When are we going to say the world clearly is in such desperate need of right relationship? And doggone it, we're going to be the ones that show them what that looks like. It's going to be hard, but we've got to be ready to do it. This is the purpose of right relationship, which means that if your relationship isn't making you look more like Jesus... It's not a right relationship. Careful. Self-help culture says, if it's not a right relationship, you need to get out. Doesn't it? That's not what Jesus says. What did Jesus do? Because Jesus saw all the wrong relationship going on on my end, right? And he chose to die for me. He chose to give his life for me. Now look, we've got to be sensitive to the Spirit here, right? Because that's, that, that's going to change. But if you're not in a right relationship, that's a you problem. And I'm not, I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm not saying that you're doing things wrong. But I'm saying that as a Christ follower, somebody who has said, I am going to live covenantally with Jesus Christ, it's incumbent upon you to make that relationship right, whether the other person wants it or not. You can live in one-sided covenant. It's extremely difficult. The, the, the 
capacity to be hurt in that relationship is extremely difficult. But y'all, if God's calling you to do it, right? Paul says that when he, when he talks, we address that passage in 1 Corinthians, but when he talks about believing wives and unbelieving husbands, he tells the wives, don't leave your husband, right? If you're married, don't leave him, even if he's not a believer. Because if you stay, you may end up purifying him. He may come to believe because of that, right? So even if you're in wrong relationship, you've got to pray. And you've got to ask the Holy Spirit what to do. Now look, it may be if you're in a wrong relationship and all your friends, all they want to do is go out and binge drink and all that stuff. It may be that God says you need to take a break from that. Because at this moment in your faith, you are being influenced more by them than they are, or than, than you are influencing them. And so you've got, you've got to take a back seat on that. But it also may be that God says you need to love them. You need to get in there with them and you need to love them. But we've got to be obedient to the Holy Spirit, right? I remember I had this, I had this conversation with a pastor a long, long time ago. And I was talking about, you, you, you know, I back, that was back when I played country music. And so we played in these bars and stuff, and that was always his thing. I just don't want you going into these bars and, you know, in the process of pulling people out of the flames, you get burned. Guys, listen, I, I'm not, I'm not going to say he was wrong. I, you know, I, I was very immature in my faith back then. But I will say this. If the Holy Spirit has called you to it, you're fireproof, y'all. Right? If the Holy Spirit has called you to it, there's nothing he is going to tell you to do that he is not going to protect you through. Does that mean you're not gonna, that you'll never get hurt? Absolutely not. Jesus Christ was called to the cross. That wasn't pain-free, right? There's pain in the offering. But if Jesus Christ called you to it, he is going to see you through it. Now, careful, that's prosperity gospel there, right? Right? We've got to be careful with that. Seeing you through it looks different. That does not mean I come out on the other side and there's no smell of smoke on me. That's not what it means. Right? It may mean giving your life for this cause. But if Jesus has called you to it, that's a worthy cause, isn't it? Right? But we've got to step back and we've got to look at these relationships. We've got to step back and we've got to decide, in this relationship, I am going to do the hard work of correction and discipline. Even if that's in you, right? If you're walking, because what did we say when we talked about the sermon, when, when we're walking with those in the world? We don't correct and discipline the world, right? We don't step in with people of the world and correct and discipline them. They're not ready for that yet. That's a no-no in the Bible. We just love them. So what happens? But that's, that's what's awesome about it, right? What happens in the midst of that? Yes, you form a relationship, and in that relationship, you look more like Jesus, right? Guys, this, this, is, this is unbelievable to me. It's, it's unbelievable to me. But God has called us to disciple. And that does not mean that we only disciple with other believers, when, you know, some of the greatest spiritual truths that I have in my life, I've learned from unbelievers. I've learned from listening to the world and their critiques of the faith, and I've said, you know what, you're right. I need to do that different. Because whether I like it or not, this is how the world sees me. And so I need, I need to do this different. But as we love the world, the Holy Spirit corrects and disciplines us, right? 
So even when you're discipling with someone who wants nothing to do with this faith, you're still growing more like Jesus. Even if you're in relationship with somebody who doesn't, you're, you're married to someone, you you're, have a friend, and they want nothing to do with this Jesus stuff. Well, I've got my relationship, and you, you know, I, I'm spiritual. I consider myself spiritual. Whatever, right? You can still disciple with them. It's not a wrong relationship just because they don't yet believe. But what it means is you're discipling with the Holy Spirit and you're sharing with that person what the Holy Spirit's telling you. God makes it the right relationship, right? We don't. God's ways are higher than ours. Remember that one? Which means that even God dictates the relationship, right? He tells us who to seek out. He tells us how to act with them. But it requires obedience to him. It requires that we stop trying to do things our way and we completely surrender to him. Y'all, God's deepest desire is for you to look more like Jesus. I, 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 as I was writing this, you know, I hit that. Hit that. It's like a brick wall, right? You're going like, 500 miles an hour in your car hit this brick wall. God's desire is for me to look like Jesus. And I look through this glorious gospel, page after page, at how incredible Jesus is. The answers he gives to these questions, the love that he shows to these sinners, all of this stuff at how incredible he is. And I think to myself, why in the world am I so dead set on staying like Jeremy? God has offered the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's here, y'all. The Holy Spirit is here. And if he's not in you right now, if he's not living inside of you, all it takes is one word. Because he's asking, can I come in? And all you got to say is yes. That's all it takes. And he is in there. And as soon as he's in, he starts the process immediately of making you look more like Jesus, more like God himself, the incomparable Christ. It, it shouldn't even be a choice, should it? <laughs> what do you want, Jeremy? You want to stay like you or you want to look like Jesus? <laughs> Why is it so hard? But it is so hard to let go of ourselves and to open my heart to the hard work of correction. Because I've got to admit that, God, my way is broken. And I need you to come in and show me your way to get it right. Holy Spirit, show us your love. Show us that we can trust you. That Jesus Christ gave up his life to prove that we can trust you. And help us to stay surrender while you correct us and purify us and make us look more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel House podcast. We pray that you are pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learn to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button, leave us a rating, and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. 
head to our website, www.thegospel.house backslash connect. Fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you. And remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.